We don't slut shame around here. They say we are what we eat. Does that come in organic? So who are you eating? I believe they call that an ethical slut. Can I unplug your phone so I can charge my vibrator? I can't believe he couldn't find it. Fuck it. Let's roll. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, the place to up-level that sexy life of yours with expert talk on sex, love, and nutrition. Hey lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Cat. Today's guest I'm excited to share with you because the conversation we have is one that I personally really don't hear about, but it's important. How do we navigate dating and our sex lives after the death of our partner or spouse? And I believe that we can bring in this really big question for everyone, considering majority of us won't be experiencing the death of a partner, but how do we allow ourselves the pleasure when we are also holding the depths of grief? Grief being a human experience that we all go through. So how can we still move towards pleasure? And I've got Krista St. Germain here, who is a grief expert and coach for widowed women, here to give us some powerful insights from her personal experience and what she's seen happening with her own clients. But before we get to Krista, I want to thank you all for tuning in. I want to thank you for your reviews on iTunes. And if you haven't already, show me some love (laughs) because my goal here is to get you to eat, play, and sex so much better. If you haven't already, please head to eplaysex.com where you can subscribe to the show, connect with me, and read more about how you can up-level your sex, love, and vitality. Now to our amazing guest that I'm really stoked to have here on the show. Krista St. Germain is a grief expert and coach working with widowed women and moms. She's also the host of the Widowed Mom podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, Krista. It's an honor to have you. Totally my pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You know, when I came across your work, I was really inspired and I went down a spiral of like reading more about what it is that you do because there aren't that many conversations out there about, you know, everybody's got these podcasts um, about dating or about sex or love, but I genuinely don't hear about navigating the field after you've lost a partner, which for me, that's, that's one of my greatest fears of, (laughs) you know, going through that experience. And so I think it takes somebody like you who has a powerful voice and who's has a, uh, I will compliment you on your ability to critically think and to hold space for other people to be able to have topics like this that are, um, that are heavy. Yeah, totally. And, and so important, right? Heavy and important. So thank you for that. Yeah. And it, it comes from, I think it takes somebody who also has that firsthand experience. Cause I don't know that the messages that you have would be able to land as well. Um, given somebody who just reads these out of the books. Yeah. I hear that all the time. I hear that all the time. I think that's one of the reasons people are most drawn to work with me is because I have, you know, of course my life experience is always going to be different from someone else's life experience, but I have walked the road. And so I do have a bit of of understanding of what it's really like to be in someone's shoes when they lose their spouse and how to navigate all the junk that comes your way afterwards. Yeah. And especially when it comes to coming back into the dating world, because I can imagine everybody's got their own thoughts and feelings and criticisms around it. And it's got to take a really strong, actually, I don't know, maybe you can tell me about, about that process for you. Like, going back into the dating world, um, did you even have models of people that were doing this or were you just like, well, here we go. You know, I decided not to date for a long time. I I went out with a friend, a former coworker for what I thought was dinner, not too long after my husband died. And I didn't see it at all as a date. Mm. And I quickly realized that he totally saw it as a date. And I remember sitting in my car. Happens to me sometimes too. Happens to me sometimes. Yeah, right. You think you're just having 
We're like, oh, I think this is a date. I didn't know this was a date. Good to know. Um, But but for me afterwards, I was like in my car bawling, you know, in the parking lot, just like totally not ready, not wanting to date, kind of angry at the world that I was even put in the position where I was even contemplating dating again, Mm. because I didn't want to date, right? I wanted Hugo. And so um, I just decided I'm not going to date until I'm really, really ready. And I really wasn't ready for a long time, for years, in fact. And, And I was totally okay with that. I think a lot of people make, you know, their true desire means something bad about their healing. Like whether they want to date, they make that mean something bad mm-hmm. or they don't want to date. They make that mean something bad. And I, I think I had just figured out that that's not useful. It's not going to help me. And so I didn't mm-hmm. do that to myself. And so I didn't have a particularly painful experience of, you know, holding off and then deciding to date again. And by the time I decided to date, I was really, really ready. Mm-hmm. That's, I love that. Let's highlight that for a moment because, or extrapolate that for a moment, because it's, um, we all take in these messages from other people of like what we're supposed to be doing. Right. And we're filtering it through these messages as a way to protect ourselves from being rejected or not belonging to the world at large or to our communities. So I can see the, you know, the, the protection, the protection parts of us coming online to be able to, to Mm -hmm. navigate that. And so when you were going through and, uh, and, maybe we can generalize this too, but when you were going through this process, what, how did you determine that you were ready? Like, were there signs where you were like, okay, now I can do this? Well, I wouldn't say that I was completely convinced that it was going to be easy. So it's kind of like, you know, what we do to ourselves when we have children and we think that we're not ready that, well, there's never really a period where you're absolutely a hundred percent fully prepared such that it's easy. Right. right. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't make, well, it's going to be easy and not emotional, a condition of my readiness. Mm-hmm. Right. I just kind of noticed that I was starting to think about it more, um, that I was starting to pay attention more to other males, right. On in a way that I, I hadn't before. Mm-hmm. And I also, I think I just did a whole lot of work on myself and got myself to the place where I was totally happy by myself, mm-hmm. right. And fully owning that my own emotional state and life experience were something that I had the ability to create. And I, so it wasn't a need at all. It mm-hmm. was just more like, okay, I think I've got me now, mm-hmm. you know, what would it mm-hmm. be like to add a relationship into this? And I wasn't under any illusion that it was going to solve any problems or that the grass would be greener. It was mm-hmm. just kind of, the next evolution of my life experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, a very okay, okay, real, maybe this will be fun. Yeah, a very real. Oh, I love that statement afterward. This can be fun. Yeah, yeah. Instead yeah. of like work, or I have to get out there, or I have to, you know, using dating as a way to heal anything. This is more coming from a from a place of fun, desire, authentic wanting. Yeah. And something to give, right? Like exactly that fun, desire, authentic. And then also just realizing, okay, I'm okay. Right. I I don't have a hole that I'm trying to fill. There's no void that some other human is going to, you know, come in and, and fill for me. That's not how it works. But I feel like I'm at a place where I'm ready to give again. I'm ready to love again. And that's fun. And that's Mm -hmm. abundant. And that felt really good to me then still scary. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I hadn't been dating still scary but right for me. Yeah. Yeah. And filling a hole. That's interesting. Cause I hear that, you know, just in the general of of, um, relationships and dating, what would that look like? Or was that a, a thought or mentality that you had had at one point in this process? Or do you see it often with your clients? I see it all the time with my clients. I think I was lucky enough. Oh my goodness. Yeah. All the time. Well, and the reason I think I see it so much is because we, we, we aren't taught that we create our own emotional experience, right? We're taught that other people cause our feelings. And so when Mm. we have positive feelings in a relationship and that relationship goes away, then of course we attribute the positive feelings to the relationship. Mm. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then we think in order to have positive feelings again, we need to find the relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's just not true. 
And so I don't, I think I had figured that out before, you know, Hugo was my second marriage. My first one did not end well. And I did a lot of work on myself, you know, through that process. And so I think I had figured some of those things out. And so it was never really, I never really thought the grass was going to be greener if I was in another relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So very grounded in the reality. And it sounds like you um, were able to identify not creating a dependency on something external, like a relationship to, to yeah. be that, be responsible for your emotions and your totally. feelings. Yeah. Your totally. Totally. And I honestly, I kind of thought it was going to be work. That was probably one of the reasons I shied away from it is because in my mind, like the first marriage was just, you know, work. And the second marriage was Oh, like the angels, you know, mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the clouds parted. And I finally found what I, what I really, you know, wanted. And just the mm. idea for a while of doing that again, like getting to that, I was just like, Oh no, I'm just going to worry about my kids and, you know, work on my business. And I just don't, I just don't need the extra effort. Um, and it took me a while to, to decide, no, it actually could be fun. Like I definitely don't need it, but maybe I want it. Yeah. I mean, that's hard enough for anybody getting out of a relationship, right? Where we're like, oh, yeah. I have to start from square one again. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. And to yeah. Figure out their childhood wounds and my childhood uh, wounds are this active. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I proved, I think I proved to myself too, that I really could handle any feeling. That's something that grief does, right? Having your spouse die. If you really sink into the fact that you have, you have felt the most intense emotions that probably exist, right? And it didn't actually kill you. You survived that. And if you can start to embrace that and realize that, oh, emotions genuinely can't hurt me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the cost of admission to the human experience, to dating, to relationships is being willing to feel feelings. Yeah. Right. And then you're willing to do that. And that was where I was too, is I was just kind of willing Mm -hmm. to feel whatever it was. Yeah. And it, and it brings on a sense of resiliency, I believe in that, you know, your ability to recognize your strength and self-trust and your ability to, to be okay at the end of anything. Yeah. What do you think, or what have you seen some of the blocks that might get in the way of somebody, um, somebody who's widowed in coming back to the dating field? How many? <laughs> oh my God. Let's how, long, go. how long is your podcast? <laughs> I, you know what? For you, girl, uh, I will uh, extend it. <laughs> uh, so many. I, they're, we're just so generally misinformed about grief anyway. Mm. And so because we're culturally unprepared and most often misled about, you know, what to expect and what's quote unquote normal and healthy, then, you know, we just have to challenge all of it. And so what I see is a lot of rules. So, you know, there's mm-hmm. something very magical that people tend to believe happens around the one year mark after a loss. That is just a complete fallacy. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know where it came from. Well, I do know where it came from, but I don't know why we're still clinging on to it. Nothing magical happens after a year, right? There's, there's nothing that says you need to wait for a year mm-hmm. to date. There's nothing that says if you're not ready after a year, you shouldn't date, right? It's just all a lot of untruths that we have picked up and not questioned and continue yeah. to kind of operate from. We we have these, these ideas that, you know, if we want a relationship, that there's something wrong with us, or that if we don't want a relationship, there's something wrong with us. Like, like wanting or not wanting means mm-hmm. something. And it just, yeah. it just doesn't. Right? Yeah. Um, I hear a lot with widows too. People will say, as though we don't know what we want. Oh, well, you know what you really want. You don't, you don't actually want sex or relationship. You just want, you just want human touch. You just need a massage. You should just get a facial. Did you really get that? I personally did not get that, but many, many widows I know have gotten that. I know, right. As though they are the same thing or as though we don't know what we want. Right. But we kind of buy into that. I talked to a woman yesterday actually, who just joined my program and, you know, her husband passed not too long ago. And she is just really beating herself up because she's already made a connection with someone. He Mm. seems very healthy. Her kids are not, well, some of her kids are on board. Some of her kids are not on board. Um, And she is just really questioning what that means about her and what it means about her love for her husband and what it means about, you know, her future. And is she stuck? And, and yeah, it's the things we do to ourselves 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. And again, coming from a place of wanting to belong in the world and not wanting to be yeah. rejected or alone. And it's, if you're already feeling aloneness from this experience, it, I can imagine you, you know, all mm-hmm. the parts in yourself want to turn on to make sure that you preserve all these relationships. Yeah, totally. And everybody has a different opinion. So how can you do that? <laughs> right. You can't. Yeah. One of the most Googled questions, and one of the questions I see the most in my, I have a free Facebook group that I run for widowed moms. Mm-hmm. And one of the most popular questions is how long should I wear my wedding ring? <gasps> oh, that's a, yeah. What do you say? How long do you want to wear your wedding ring? Yeah. Right? Like, it's not, there's not a right or wrong. There's no rule. Mm. And somebody, people do actually have opinions about this. Oh, I noticed you're not wearing your ring. What does that mean? Oh, you're still wearing your ring? Why? Mm-hmm. You know? And so it's, we, to your point, we are looking for external, you know, validation. We are fearing rejection. We do want others to accept us. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a... <laughs> It's a challenge. It's no joke. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. You brought up, uh, how would you say that people, uh, or, or what advice could you give for people to navigate the criticisms that they receive from people? Well, so what I say is that it's not really the criticism that we're worried about so much, right? It's our own response to the criticism that we're worried about. Mm. So that's what we want to get curious about, right? Is what do we make someone else's criticism mean? Mm. Because, you know, if somebody's insulting like say you drive a red car and somebody tells you that your blue car is ugly. Yeah. Like they're criticizing something, but you're not really going to put a lot of merit into their criticism because you know, your car is, you know, the color of your car. Sure. You know, you would be wondering, Hmm, that's really odd. I wonder why they think that. I wonder where they're coming from. You wouldn't Uh make it mean anything about you. And so when we're so worried about other people's criticisms, I think the opportunity is for them, you know, for us to look inside and go, okay, where is it that, you know, I have a lack of belief in myself, right? Mm -hmm. Where is it that I'm kind of secretly judging myself or what's the story that my brain is telling me that maybe isn't serving me, but yet I'm believing it. Mm -hmm. And then we get curious about that Mm -hmm. because then when we do that work and we're confident in our own decisions, yes, we'll always have that part of our brain that wants outside approval because it associates rejection with death, but we can navigate it, right? Because we're secure in the way that we are thinking. And then the choices that we are making about our lives and and we, we can notice, yeah, maybe primitive part of our brain wants, wants everybody to like it, but we don't get so caught up in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and to be able to, I guess, honor people's, I guess, um, how do I want to say their input and understanding that they're just trying to take care of us or love us or, you know, not want to see us hurt, um, but yeah, not totally not take that on. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I know for sure I was never really taught how to feel my feelings. Mm-hmm. I, nobody taught me that. And I wasn't taught that feelings aren't problems. It was something I had to learn as an adult. And I think most of us are walking around thinking that feelings are problems and not knowing how to feel our own. And so when we see someone else having some feelings, we're pretty uncomfortable with that. And widows are like <laughs> the poster children for having negative emotion, right? So people are walking around thinking, oh, that's, that's not good. I got to fix that. Right. So, oh, you should date, right. Or you shouldn't date and, and trying to it with the best of intentions, fix us because Mm -hmm. they are uncomfortable Mm. how we're emoting, Mm -hmm. right. They don't know how to make space for, for us to have feelings. And so they try to change us. Absolutely. Effective or received all that well. Typically. <laughs> sure. It's the, the whole in F, like uh, dependency on each other or this, like, like you said, I can't relax until you're regulated. Like yes. I, I need to function for you. I need to do something to, cause probably it's, there's some sort of um, inability to have a boundary around mental, emotional, or energetics and so they feel the discomfort that of your emotion and they can't stand that. They can't tolerate yes. it. So they try to fix yes. it through you so that they can finally yeah. relax. Yeah. Yeah. And I think not only can we not like tolerate it, we, we, we can't even contemplate that it's supposed to be happening, that it's supposed mm. to be part of the human experience. Yeah. So, Especially in grief. This, this brings up a thought for, cause you brought up your kids too. So if you're going through this process and you're allowing your feelings, or I can imagine you're also navigating, holding the space for your kids, 
mm-hmm. in all of this. How did you balance that, your own care and you yeah. the care of your kids and your and the emotions? You know, it's interesting. I have been having, I have two kids and when Hugo died, uh, my daughter was 12 and my son was nine. And since my son was born, it feels like, I don't know, at least like two or three, I can remember having discussions with him at bedtime because he, he was, he's always just very emotionally attuned to what's happening to other people. And so he would say things like, mommy, I don't think you're happy. Mommy, I want to make you happy. You yeah. know, mommy, why aren't you happy? And he, I could really see it a very young age that he was trying to take on responsibility for my emotions. Mm-hmm. And so we started having that conversation at a very, very young age that mommy's job is to make mommy happy. And that's yeah. the only person who can do it. Right. And it just teaching him that over and over and over that his emotions are his and my emotions are mine and none of it is a problem. And just like being there for him as he had his emotions, but not trying to put my emotions on him. And those are the same skills that I used to help us navigate what we were navigating, right? Mm -hmm. Is just to stay in my own lane as far as owning my own emotions and try to help them stay in their own lane and not let them own my emotions or anyone else's and just bear witness to what everybody's feeling without trying to change it. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, Krista, I want to like cut that clip just so <laughs> and send it out into the world because it's, it's like you, that is such a beautiful description of establishing and maintaining the boundaries of the role of a parent and a child and not letting the child you know, unconsciously, right? Because they're just filtering everything through self lens yeah. when they're younger, but um, end up creating this this um, uh, strategy or this solution for love of caretaking, or yeah. you know, he, being the hero for mom. Yeah. yeah, right. And I see so many women try to hide their emotions from their children, right? And mm-hmm. and I get it. I get why we do that. Um, but I think it causes more harm often than good, mm-hmm. right? It's because, you know, the kids are walking around feeling, feeling the feelings, having the feelings anyway. And the mm-hmm. more we can normalize that as parents, mm-hmm. right? I think the better. And, and, and sometimes what I see is, well, I, I, I don't want them to think I'm weak because secretly I think I'm weak if I mm-hmm. show them my emotions. And then I don't set an example of how to, how to navigate an emotion. Mm. And kids are perceptive. Like they're so sensitive to the nervous systems of our parents, right? Because biologically that helps us to be able to survive. We attune to our parents to see, you know, how to interact. And if a kid's picking up something in the, in the energy of the space and they're not, they don't make sense of it. It's not given them the information to make sense of it. They internalize it for themselves. Oh, and then, yeah. And then take it on. Yeah. yeah so not helpful. Yeah. So not helpful. And when you were going through the dating process, the, this just adds another layer to it with your kids. And you said some you know, of them, go ahead. Yeah. I think I, I got lucky. My kids didn't really care at that point, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I have had a lot of clients for whom it is a big deal. Right. And yeah. their kids have a lot of opinions and, and it's really challenging when, you know, you try to get the approval of your kids because a, <laughs> you can't control what they think. And B, if you have more than one of them, they tend to have different opinions, mm-hmm. right? So how do you do what is authentic to you and what you want and let them have their own response to it mm-hmm. without trying to change their response? They're entitled to their opinion. They're entitled to their emotions, but that doesn't mean, you know, any of it's bad or wrong or needs to be changed. So yeah, I see clients struggle with that all the time. Mm. Do, do you suggest they have a, um, a conversation? Like how would you, would you coach somebody on having that conversation with their kids? Well, it kind of depends because, you know, I coach clients with children of all ages. So, and so interestingly enough, sometimes the children in air quotes that are the most upset are the adult children. Oh, right. And, and it's fascinating. So you've got teeny tiny little kids. I mean, I've had widows with, who were pregnant, you know, when their spouse died and, and who, you know, have, that's a whole different conversation when you're, you've got a one-year-old or a two-year-old or something like that versus a 45-year-old who is having some opinions about, well, you didn't love my dad then, you know, so. Oh, that just hurt my stomach. I'm telling you lots of, yeah, but each situation is different. And I think the most important thing is that we just recognize that 
we, we genuinely, as much as we think we want to, or could, we can never control somebody else's thoughts or feelings. And so turning into chameleons so that other people don't have thoughts and feelings about our choices ultimately doesn't really help us, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and I can imagine validating or getting curious about your kids' thoughts or where this comes from, or like you used earlier, what does it mean for them to be able so that they feel understood and seen and heard? Yeah. 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 And yeah. And if you can listen to the undertone, like what's the question or concern, what's the fear behind the stated fear? You know, what's the need that the child might worry isn't going to be met? Mm-hmm. And can you address that right head on? And depending on the age, I think the way that you address it is different, but I think we can do a lot to reassure our kids of where we're coming from and their, you know, their, because what they're concerned about really is, is what it means to them, right? Does that mean yeah. that, you know, I, I'm going to be left behind. Does that mean that I don't mm-hmm. matter? Right. And can we address, can we address that head on and reassure them that dating again doesn't mean anything about our love for them. It doesn't mean anything about our love for their other parent. Right. Oof, that's, that's a big one. Wow. I didn't even mm-hmm. think about that as the kid, their role. Cause I imagine you and them bond really deeply over this tragedy mm-hmm. and how well, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Interestingly, mm-hmm. You know, I think it brought my kids and I closer together, but I don't think that's a universal truth, right? Like some people just shut down and, and it actually, it could be an opportunity to come closer, but it's it's not always the path people choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking a lot about dating because I think that is really important, but you know, the, the podcast eat, play sex. Let's talk about sex and being a widow. So after all of this, um, we already have so much messages of shame and guilt around us and sex in general, but then you add in this complexity and I can imagine it makes it even more challenging. I think it totally does. Totally does. And we, we had talked, I've recorded a couple of podcast episodes on this subject myself because, you know, I've noticed that whenever the, the subject comes up within my clients, it's always kind of, you know, something that they are afraid to talk about, but really worrying about and, you know, worrying that other people are judging them or they're judging them themselves. And there's a whole lot of me too happening, you know, whenever we bring up the subject and just, just, I just find, I know some people love the term widow. I I'm what? I've never heard of that. No. If if you were, if you were a widow and you are in any, you know, social media community, I guarantee you, you you will be five posts in and you will probably see this phrase. And, (gasps) and so some people maybe find it to be empowering. I don't, I notice, you know, we don't, we don't use that term as it relates to men. Typically we only use it as it, you know, relates to women. And, you know, it's here. Us. I think it is. I, you know, I think we're basically saying, you know, what you do with your sex life after your spouse dies is 100% your business and your choice. Right. And we don't need to label it or judge it. And some women, you know, maybe we're in a relationship straight out of high school or whatever. And it was the only person they'd ever been with. And maybe they want to go have sex with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Why do we have to call that? You know, why do we have to say widow? Why do we have to label it in such a derogatory way. Then I find other people who, who think that phrase is totally empowering and they feel great about it. Um, doesn't resonate with me, but to your point, yeah, just a lot of judgment and shame. So, okay, my spouse died. I want to have sex. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right. And then we make it mean all these things. Well, I didn't love them enough, right? There's something wrong with me. I'm not processing my grief. I'm trying to hide from my feelings, you know, just all sorts of uh, stuff. It's already complicated. Mm. Right, it's already complicated to be vulnerable and you know open yourself up to that experience again for for a myriad of reasons, and so to then judge it, just ugh, I hate I hate seeing the suffering. Yeah, how do you reflect back to somebody who's like, is this? Am I using this sex as something to distract myself or or um, yeah. run away from my emotions? Well, so I just, I don't think there's anything wrong with using anything to distract yourself from your emotions. And my, you know, idea is that let's just choose it consciously, 
Mm. Right. Let, let's just make the decision intentionally. So if we're doing it because we think we can outrun a feeling or we're doing it because we're unwilling to feel a feeling or we think it's going to be a black hole. And, you know, once we start, we'll, we'll never come out. Uh, that's not going to work. Right. That's not going to work. But there is there is something to be said for, I think, the conscious oscillation between the, the work of grief and respite from grief, right? And respite from feelings. And and, there, and the dual process theory of grief backs that up, right? That's kind of one of the main premises of that theory is that you want to find that balance between the work, quote unquote, and then the intentional respite. So who mm. gets to decide what intentional respite is? You do, right? But let's do that consciously, right? And let's consider what's the overall net impact on my life that I'm creating. And, and am I happy with that net impact, right? So if I'm always going to food or I'm always going to alcohol, for instance, mm-hmm. or I'm always shopping, yeah. right? Maybe I'm doing it on purpose, but do I like the overall net impact? Maybe I do, maybe I don't. And what I like might not be what you like, mm-hmm. right? But So let's make it eyes wide open as a conscious choice, as opposed to you know, I can't handle this emotion. So I'm just going to go over here and distract myself and, and yeah. create something else that I don't really want to handle. Yeah. I, and I'm imagining going back into sex and I'm also considering self-pleasure, you know, masturbation mm-hmm. uh, with yourself too. Like if you think of orgasm and orgasm is a massive release, like ugh, I can only imagine sometimes the emotions that can come up in that process. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, how do you, how do you help women to be able to hold space for themselves in that? So I always, I think what the big fear is, is not what people think, right? So we're worried that we're going to have emotions, but I don't think that's what we're really worried about, Mm. right? I think we're worried about like the mean thing we're going to say to ourselves after we have the emotion. So I have, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with widows who are worried about sex again, because they're worried about, well, I might cry. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it's not really the crying that we're worried about. Mm. It's, it's the mean thing we're going to say to ourselves about what it means to cry. Mm. Right. And so if we can figure out that it's never really the thing that we think is the thing we're afraid of, it's always Mm -hmm. the mean thing we're going to say to ourselves and then realize that we get to be the ones to decide, am I going to say the mean thing or am I going to be compassionate with myself? Mm. And what's the mean thing? The mean thing, what's wrong with you? You should be over this by now right? Oh. You're so weak. You'll mm-hmm. never be happy again. There's all, there's, there's no end yeah. to the mean, to the mean thing, right? Sure. You, sure. You can handle your emotions. You, you all, all of the, ugh, all the inner critic stuff that we don't actually have to listen to that. We can just decide, yeah, crying is part of being human. And maybe for widows, sometimes crying happens in sex. Mm-hmm. And I mean, crying happens in sex for me too. And I'm not a widow. I know, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Hello. Yeah. That's even yeah. when it's just good. Like, yeah. So I just think that it's, it's, that's the conversation that needs to be had is okay. The thing you think you're worried about isn't really what's got you bothered. What's got you bothered is the mean thing you're going to say to yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, what if, so another concern is what if I want to have sex, but then I realize I don't. What? Right. Like I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm, <laughs> well, like, you know, I've, I'm in the relationship where we're, we're about to have sex. And then all of a sudden I don't want to have sex. Yeah. This is a genuine fear, right? Then what? And being able to talk that through and deciding that, okay, if you get to that point and you don't want to anymore, you also don't have to be mean to yourself. You can also advocate for what it is you want in that moment or don't want in that moment. You don't owe that person anything. You can just mm. say, I'm done. No, I thought it, I thought I was ready and I've changed my mind, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, and I find for women, oh, I don't know, you know what you see here, but I just see it's, we don't really realize when we're in a partnered relationship, how much of our confidence comes from our partner's thoughts about us. Mm-hmm. And so then when we don't have that anymore, uh, we have to figure that out for ourselves. And, and it can be really surprising because you kind of expect the sadness and maybe you expect to be angry and you expect, you know, what you think, you know, about grief, but you don't really expect that. <laughs> it will feel like somebody pulled the rug out from under your confidence, Oof. right? And that you have to learn to make decisions and to, to navigate for yourself and figure out who are you outside of this partnered relationship? Mm-hmm. What do you actually want? And how do you, how do you create that life experience? And yeah, you know, I, so I spend a lot of time helping people figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, cause it's, you know, you're detangling the energetics there where you, you, 
And just by the nature of being in a unit, you think with them in consideration or you think mm-hmm. through through them more than just in your own energy. So it, it does take a lot more of an yeah. adjustment to, to come back to your own lens, come back to what's authentic yeah. and alive in your own self. Yeah. And, or maybe, and the, I, and they, maybe the ones they were, they were picking you up, they were cheerleading you yeah. and you've never really had to cheerlead yourself. Yeah. And as women in this culture <laughs> where we're taught to in, in, um, in regards to this example that you're giving around sex and not wanting sex, we're so conditioned to just put up with the discomfort rather than being able to assert ourselves or express the truth of, I actually don't want that right now. Yeah. You know, we're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings or we're afraid of rejection or we're afraid it's easier for me to hold and tolerate than it is to yes. express what's true and desirable for me. So true. Yeah. And I, I can imagine. So from my sex therapist lens, like putting on that hat, um, how, sex can be healing. So even reframing this idea of if I cry in sex, that there's like you were saying, this means something about me. I'm ro- I'm broken. There's something mm-hmm. wrong with me. I'm not ready, but, but there's this, oh, yay. I get to have this, not yay, but I get to have this somatic release an yeah. orgasm or dropping into pleasure allowed me to the body to move through the process it needed to, in order to heal and come back into a re- more regulated state. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe even seeing that as like a, an opportunity to congratulate yourself Oof. for being like, you know, brave enough and vulnerable enough and present enough to give that to yourself. Mm. Yeah. 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 And to be able to let yourself be seen in that space mm-hmm. and yeah, be, I, hopefully be held. <laughs> or, right. Yeah. Maybe not, but hopefully I, I, not all of the widows that I work with were married for a long time, but I do see that the ones who were tend to also worry more about their bodies and, you know, maybe their partner watched their body evolve over time and, and they, they still haven't, you know, truly accepted their body. And Mm. so they just kind of assume that, you know, their partner did and nobody else will. And so then all of that, you know, that requires work too, right. Of being able to get comfortable with your body and be fully present in it and be willing to be with someone else and let them have, you know, their own response to it. And so I just think it requires so much of us. And and that's why it's, it can be such a challenge. Mm, Yeah. And then, so for somebody who's the non-griever, how can they support somebody through this dating process or through sex? I love that you asked that question. I had a, a couple of people tell me a couple she was the widow and he wasn't. And they both listened to together a couple of the episodes that I did about sex and grief. And it just made me so happy that he was right there willing, not having had her life experience, right? Um, But right there willing, trying to understand what it was like for her without trying to change what it was like for her. And so if Mm -hmm. we could do that, right? If we could not pass judgment on what another person is going through, but just genuinely seek to understand what it is that's real for them. Mm-hmm. Right. And then not try to change it. Yeah. That, that's what I think most grievers really want, whether you're dating again or not, that's what you really want is just someone to be there and witness your experience and not try to convince you that you should be different than you are or that something is wrong with you or mm-hmm. try to covertly manipulate you into changing. Yeah. And you can also be in a vulnerable, still be in a vulnerable state. And so I can see where taking advantage of that can, can also probably be common. Uh, Yeah. I could tell you a whole lot of stories there. I mean, whether people (laughs) intentionally mean to take advantage, that's, that's, you know, probably very different. And there's a, there's a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, knowing that You'll never fully, truly understand what the other person has been through ever. And that goes, that's not just grief, right? That's just life in general. Like we all come to any relationship with a story that the other person will probably never fully appreciate and that that's okay. And we don't have to change it. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I do see a lot of women worry about, um, you know, their new in dating or a new partner, them thinking that they aren't ready or them, you know, wanting them to give up 
pictures of their late partner or, Mm. you know, stop telling the stories about their late partner and, you know, them bringing their own lack of self-assuredness to the relationship. And then it shows up as in, Hey, that person's gone. Stop talking about them because I feel inadequate when you do, you know, and how do we, how do we, right. Especially if you're a mom, because you're not going to stop talking about your person. You don't want to take pictures down of your person. Yeah. Right. They're always going to be a part of your life experience. So if you're going to be in a new relationship, Hey, let's, let's let, let's let that deceased person be part of the relationship or at least let their presence be in, you know, this person, this person's life. Mm-hmm. Cause they're always going to be in their mind and, mm-hmm. and to, you know, say, I it's fascinating to me. Take down the pictures. Don't talk about your kid's father. Wait, what? Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. As a way, again, to, to be able to protect and preserve the their role in the relationship. I can yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah. Which really then ultimately has the exact opposite effect with most women, right? Do you want to, that sends you wanting to run to the hills. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not yeah. engage in the relationship, not be more present. Yeah. So, cause I, yeah, I, I just can imagine, you know, then holding how challenging that or maybe not challenging, but having to both hold space for yourself and your process, and then also hold space for this other person in their process around what Mm -hmm. all of this means too. And as somebody who's a non-griever holding space here, I love, I want to highlight what you said in here of really listening to their process and understanding what their unique process is kind of like what you said Mm -hmm. earlier, because I think we can fall into the trap of anticipating the needs of the other person or, or projecting that their process is this and they need this where that may not actually be the case. Yeah. As opposed to maybe asking them what they would like. Yeah. Instead of, yeah. Assuming. Yeah. Do you have along your uh, experiences of dating and sex and, you know, moving back into this space, I, I'd be curious if you have any personal rituals or songs or mantras that you did for yourself mm-hmm. to psych yourself up and get yourself ready for that. You're taking me back. I don't know that it was a ritual or a mantra as much as at least at just some point, I just kind of decided that no matter what, I wouldn't be mean to myself. hmm and so I think just over time, I've built this trust in the, in, not in, in other people as much as within myself, right. Knowing that I, I'm going to have my own back. I'm going to be my own champion, no matter what happens. And then couple that with what I have proven to myself, which is that feelings can't hurt me and I'm willing to feel them. Mm-hmm. And that if I can do those things, I'm golden, Right. Because come what may, even if I end up in another relationship and, you know, say that person were to die, mm-hmm. I've already proven to myself that I can handle that. Would mm-hmm. I want that? No. Could I handle it? Yes. Right. Yeah. If, if I get rejected, am I going to make it mean something terrible about me? No. I mean, maybe immediately my thought might be to that end, but I'm pretty quickly going to coach myself to compassion and to, to being my own champion. And so, yeah, it's not really a, a, a mantra or a ritual as much as it just is a decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and also to highlight that you've created a community of people to be able to support each other, which I think is a yeah. really powerful resource for anybody who's moving through, um, through life in general, but, but especially mm-hmm. through this, because like we said at the beginning of the show, there aren't as many of these conversations that are being had. So what is the name of that group that you've created that community? Yeah. So I have a free group, which is just the widowed mom podcast, Facebook mm-hmm. group. And so yeah. that's the free group. And then I have a paid program, which is a coaching program for widowed moms called mom goes on. Amazing. So. Oh, oh my God. That's so good. And with that, Thank I have you. a couple I love of, it. yeah, I can feel that the passion that you have behind this. Um, and with that, I have a couple of questions from the listeners. So for anybody who follows me on Instagram at sex, love yoga, I take followers questions and put them to my guest experts. So we have two of them. Um, awesome. they're really good. Yeah. So the first one, I'm afraid that my kids will feel like their dad is being replaced. If I start dating again, how can I help them so that I can? So that you can date again. Yeah. So how can I help them? I guess the kids. Yeah. So such a good question. And I think what we were talking about earlier speaks a little bit to that, which is 
to go a little bit, you know, lower, what is their fear, right? Mm-hmm. Go and, and how can I reassure them that what they're really worried about, which is, you know, lack of time with me or, you know, lack of love for me or being replaced. How can I assure them that that isn't going to happen? But then also how you have to recognize that no matter the assurance you provide, mm-hmm. you still don't have the power to choose the way that your child sees the world or sees you dating. Sure. You don't. And And this is the harder thing, I think. We live with this fallacy that is we're not supposed to have negative emotions. The Mm. negative emotions are bad. And what I believe is that that's so not true. They're a valid part of the human experience. And so stop trying to take negative emotion away from people. You Mm. didn't create it. And it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Right. We don't know what that child's journey is supposed to be. I'm not saying go around and try to make people feel bad. Right. Mm -hmm. But we got to like release from the clutches, this tight grip that we have on people I love can only feel positive emotion or, or something has gone wrong and it's probably my fault. Yeah. We've got to let that go. Yeah. Maybe the child will never like it. Mm. And you're building resiliency for the child to be able to sit with and tolerate the negative emotions. Yeah. Yes. 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 Because the things we look back on, I think it's easy to see with hindsight. Most of the things we look back on that helped us develop resilience Uh were the things we hated the most at the time that they were happening. True that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But yet we get in front of our kids and try to like, you know, solve all their problems and yeah, like not give them the opportunity to have a, a negative experience, which might be robbing them of an opportunity to build resilience. So, yeah. 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 And I'm reminded even some of the core basic human needs that we all have, you know, to be seen, to be heard, to be, um, to have affection, to feel soothed. And, and, um, I think addressing more of those instead of trying to fix their emotion would yeah, be totally. perhaps a better way to, to navigate that. Yeah. 100% yeah. agree. Second. I also, you know, I've, I've been dating someone for, I don't know, a year and a half. Um, and you know, I always tell him too, like, my daughter's 17, almost 18. My son is 14. If my kids want to cuddle, I'm cuddling. Like, <laughs> okay. You know, if we were about to spend time together on the couch and the the children that rarely want to spend time with their mother choose to spend time with me, mm-hmm. they're going to get my attention, right? I don't reject them in that way mm-hmm. ever. And that's just my personal, like, I know these moments are fleeting and they're about to be, I'm going to blink and my daughter's going to be in college and I'm going to blink, and, you know? Mm-hmm. And so th- they very much know that, um, yes, you know, he's in my life and and he matters very much to me, but there's nothing and no one that is going to bump them, you know? Wow. So as in this would be a threat for the, for him or not that he believes this, but is this a, is this a case that you see with clients? Totally. Yeah. Really? Oh, yes. Regularly. Oh my God. I, there's, Chris, there's you're a... blowing my mind with all these things. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. I should tell you some stories. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating how, yeah. Yeah. People are you know, to, to your point though, they're, they're looking, they don't know any better and they're just trying to, to feel safe. Yeah. Right. And they don't yeah. know, they don't know where their own safety comes from. And so they're looking for other people to provide it to them. Yeah. Core basic human need yeah. to feel safe and secure. Yeah. All of our inner children come out yeah. <laughs> during these times of dating. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So second question, when it comes to sex, I freeze up. And when I'm with a new partner and can't go on with it, how can I get past it? So this is coming from someone who's lost someone and is in grief. Yep. Probably. Yeah. So I'm assuming, I, I don't know if this is a man or a woman. Yeah. Okay. So freezing up, I would, I would love to know a little bit more information about what exactly that means. Like I would be asking myself if I was that person, what is it that I'm worried that's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Right. And then, and I know it's like counterintuitive, but sometimes what I like to do is I'll go all the way to the place where the most awful thing happens. Mm. And then could I have my own back? Could I be my own champion? Even if that thing happened, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'll think, right. And my clients will think that, you know, the person's like, say they're worried that the person's going to reject them. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So let's go to the place where the person actually says the words you most don't want to hear. You're ugly. I don't like you. You're terrible in bed. I don't know what it is, but like whatever it is in that person's mind, right. Even that, could we love ourselves through that? Oof. Yeah. 
Yeah. And reminding yourself that you do have your back. You do have, yeah. Yeah. And if you make that decision for yourself, it just opens you up to so many more life experiences because you know that people could have opinions that you don't want them to have, or people could say things that you don't want them to say, but, but you would never be mean to yourself about it. You would still be your own champion if that were to happen. And then I think gradually it's like loosening a knot, right? Then we can start to like loosen that up a little bit and realize, Ooh, I don't have control of the other people, but I really do have control over the things that really matter. Right. Yeah. My own emotional state and, and my response to whatever it is that other people might think of me or, or do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's almost like creating the exposure therapy for yourself in your own mind. So you can mm-hmm. move past it. Yeah. Putting yeah. my trauma therapist hat on, um, I would also suggest if somebody's freezing up the, you know, we have the fight, flight or freeze responses. So it's, it could be a, um, a trauma response. So there could also mm-hmm. be something that needs to be processed there. Yeah. Um, EMDR is an amazing process or somatic type of therapy to help you, your body to, to move through that response itself. Yeah. And personally, I'm a big fan of tapping and I have had a lot of yeah success with tapping. And so I think that's also another tool that it's so easy for people to learn and easy for Mm -hmm. them to do on their own. Um, Not to say that that that's always the best way is to do it on your own, because sometimes having a professional help you is, is, you know, going to get you where you want to be probably faster, but totally. um, Yeah. Help settle your nervous system, help, help get you out of that sympathetic drama. Mm-hmm, that drama. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you so much, Krista. This was amazing. How can people find out more about you? How can they follow you? I know you've got Instagram, all the socials yeah. and your podcast. Yeah, I'm on all the socials. So the podcast I think is probably what tends to benefit people the most. And even mm-hmm. if you're not a, a widow or a mom, but you just are curious about grief or post-traumatic growth, you know, those are my favorite things to talk about. So the Widowed Mom podcast and then um, coaching with Krista is where you can find me on Facebook. And that's my website address. Instagram is Life Coach Krista because coaching with Krista was taken. <laughs> I noticed I'm that. in all the places. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. And thank you, everybody who submitted questions to the show. You make this show happen. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Lovers, thank you again for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, hit subscribe and head over to Eat, Play, Sex, to connect with me and grab my sexy guides. Because my goal here is to get you to eat, play, and sex better so you can improve your sex life, which will improve every aspect of your life. Until next time, keep it sexy. Sexy.